Hello and welcome to the Enterprise Talk Conversation Series, a peer knowledge resource by the CXOs for the CXOs. Now to our host, Kanika Goswami. Good morning, friends. We have uh, Sachin Gupta today with us. He's the CEO of Hacker Earth. Uh, Sachin has worked with Google as a software developer before he started his his, his organization, Hacker Earth, in 2012. Uh, the company is a solutions provider for uh, developer assessments, interviews, and upskilling. Uh, we will be talking today about the future of enterprise hiring in the technology, especially IT fields, and more so in the context of remote work that has been brought about by COVID. So, um, Sachin, how are you today? Good morning. Good morning, yes. uh, and thanks for having me on the discussion today. Really excited to be you know, on Enterprise Talk. Really looking forward to it. So, the first question, Sachin, I want to ask you is, since the rise of COVID-19, what changes have you seen in the recruiting process that organizations are following now? So, that's a great question. Uh, so, you know, uh, obviously, uh, the first word that comes to mind when we talk about COVID is everything is, you know, going remote, uh, work from home. Um, I still starkly remember um, it was, I think, beginning of March uh, when it finally sunk in that, uh, oh, sorry, towards the end of March when it finally sunk in that uh, we'll have to, you know, kind of shut down all our offices because we've, you know, historically we've been the kind of company who's always uh, worked uh, from office. All uh, our backend office in India is in Bangalore and then here in SF. Uh, and we like to, you know, kind of, kind of come to office and work together. And then um, obviously we were not prepared and suddenly, you know, the world changed. Uh, and it is so, uh, I would say, endearing to see over the last, uh, I would say, nine months, how the entire world has kind of adapted. Humans are so adaptable to these conditions. And now, you know, everything is hopefully coming back to normal uh, while everybody's still working remotely. Uh, recruiting was obviously not uh, spared by this pandemic either. Uh, so if you look at recruiting, there are, I would say, four, broad, four, four, four stages. We've got sourcing, uh, then we have screening, um, interviewing, and then, of course, uh, finally closing the candidate and onboarding them. Uh, sourcing, in some sense, was always, I would say, remote friendly. You know, we're more used to, I mean, like gone are the days when we would bulk of our hiring would happen by networking at events. Of course, that was a great place to meet uh, good talent, but we were not ex uh, only solely relying on those channels. Uh, but for a good part, a lot of screening and interviewing was done face-to-face, -face, uh, a lot of human-led interaction there. <clears throat> so obviously, when, when COVID happened, uh, organizations had to adapt. Um, and the, the thing that, you know, you would like, the, the immediate impact was on screening, not only because one had to go remote, but also because we saw all those organizations who were still hiring were seeing a much larger candidate uh, pool out there uh, because uh, obviously there were tons of organizations who for business reasons had to trim down their workforce. So the market, uh, the supply side of the talent market, marketplace was was suddenly flooded with uh, you know more applicants. Uh, so on one hand, you have to ensure that your systems are optimize for remote hiring. On the other hand, you also have to uh, prepare yourself for a bigger volume. And that's where we've seen a lot of skill-based screening methods being adopted by enterprises across the globe who want to be able to identify the high-quality applicants in their uh, workflow without really you know, compromising on the whole quality bar, but also being able to process a higher applicant volume uh, coming from different parts of the world. 
uh, that's on the screening stage. So a lot of focus on, you know, uh, cloud-based assessments and, and, and things like those. Um, interviewing was probably the most impacted because people were very used to getting in a candidate, you know, talk to them face to face, probably even spend uh, in the tech world. We would do up to four or five rounds of an interview on the single day. Um, and now all of that was, you know, toppled on its head. Uh, so a sudden move to online video interviewing tools. Some of the organizations were not even prepared, but then uh, obviously, you know, adapted. And, and now people have kind of found a rhythm in, in how to go about doing uh, the uh, these interviews remotely. Uh, I think what... And, and we've been you know, able to figure out a way how we can continue to screen and interview candidates uh, in a remote world. And I feel even when we go, you know, we go back to the new normal, I don't think it will be the, the same normal that we used to have 2019. But whatever the new normal is, it will be a hybrid world where uh, part of us are working remotely and part of us are not. And I think these stages of screening and interviewing would continue to be the way they are today uh, because there obviously you know efficiency gains in in remote hiring you don't necessarily need to spend hundreds and thousands of dollars flying in candidates uh, scheduling is harder when you want to get people over to an office and get them to meet four or five people uh, in screening um, you know it it takes if you want to do accurate screening and it is completely dependent on humans doing that then with high applicant volume either your process load slows down or your quality is impacted i think one stage that has uh, been impacted and I would say it has been impacted for the worse is the whole candidate engagement and the candidate experience during the recruiting process. Uh, because all said and done, there is a certain merit to inviting a person to, to come and visit and see you at the office, see what the culture is, meet people face to face. It just makes it easier for the recruiting teams to close that candidate and also for the candidate to understand what am I really getting into. And I think there still needs to be work done for this particular aspect. We need to get better at engaging candidates uh, through the remote uh, interviewing process. But uh, rest of the stages, I think, uh, you know, those things are in some sense for the better. So you mentioned about uh, the cloud coming in the picture more for uh, probably testing, skill testing and, and uh, uh, you know, databases. Is there any uh, security challenge that organizations are going to face when it comes to having resumes or candidate data or even interviewing or skill testing or anything using the cloud? Have you ever yeah. faced any such situation? Uh, not really, because, you know, uh, if you look at the whole transition to cloud from an enterprise perspective, I think uh, the last five years has been uh, instrumental in building a lot of trust uh, and, and acceptance with the enterprises. So, um, because, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, Teleo is one of the most, uh, I would say, uh, the oldest and the most robust applicant tracking system that are used by enterprises all across the globe. Um, and they've always been the traditional on-prem uh, uh, single instance kind of uh, deployment, uh, which was, which is, you know, what used to do, pe what people used to do before the the onset of cloud. And today they have Oracle has a, a, a cloud, I think cloud suite. And I see a lot of enterprises migrating from the traditional on-prem installation to their cloud version. If you look at the new applicant tracking system, the new age applicant tracking systems they've always been either cloud first or cloud ready. So the acceptance uh, in enterprises is a lot higher. 
uh, a lot of credit goes to you know the cloud providers like Microsoft and and Amazon who have really worked with the enterprises over the past few years and built that trust both in their platform as well as you know in the buyers. Uh, so uh, when we do these you know when when customers use these screening tools, obviously they have information about the candidate uh, in their systems in the cloud systems, but since the rest of the applicant tracking journey is already in in the cloud another tool which kind of goes and sits into that cloud ecosystem is doesn't give them you know uh, is something that they're absolutely comfortable with right so uh, the next question which we had planned for you was how can enterprises upskill their workforce for a dynamic business environment in in this in, in this current remote working kind of a, a you know environment that we are living in right now and it right. is going to be uh, you know continuing for the next few months it is not like it's going away by january or whatever else i'm right. i'm assuming till at least march we are stuck in the same kind of working so how, how do you how do you upskill your your workforce in this environment right so that's again you know great question and and a little bit of background on why uh, upskilling and and you know learning and development has suddenly shot up in the last 9 months i think uh, if you look at technology or any other sector today uh, the need to upskill is a no brainer because uh, tools technologies business processes are evolving at a much rapid pace as they would you know probably evolve 20 30 years back so uh, talent that a person who who has certain skills today will most likely become less relevant a lot less relevant 5 years down the line if they don't invest in some sort of some kind of upskilling now what has happened with the whole move to remote uh, and you know people being locked in their homes is that we have more time at hand um and and when we have more time at hand uh, you know we want to engage ourselves of course uh, people are you know cooking and there's tons of baking on the instagram um, and all of those things but it also gives us more time to kind of look at our skills uh, now that's a great opportunity for a lot of enterprises to uh, to you know to leverage this because they can use this opportunity to upskill their workforce and it has two benefits a obviously you know as the more more uh, skilled the workforce is the higher is the efficiency of the workforce and also you are now telling your employees that hey we care about your own personal growth uh, your professional growth right so in the context of that i think few things that organizations need to keep in mind when they are thinking about their upskilling uh, programs is first understand the needs of your workforce before framing a learning and development strategy uh, sometimes you know a very top to bottom approach can result in the program in programs that don't align with the interest of employees so we as leadership may feel hey you know we need xyz uh but if it is coming very top down we haven't really assessed the existing skill map of the company today we haven't spoken to people on the ground level and tried to understand what kind of technologies they feel they should be going to but then obviously there has to be an alignment with business goals but it cannot be just a top to bottom approach um second it's important to understand the current skill levels before attempting to bridge the gap right establishing baseline will help uh, the organization understand what is the current skill map in my organization what are the strengths and weaknesses of the current employee pool and hence what are the gaps that i need to bridge uh, and and this will result in creating a more relevant learning curriculum uh, then the third thing is uh, they should aim for guided learning paths uh, i know this is uh, still in its early days and we don't have very robust solutions that could potentially facilitate that but learning needs for each individual are different and if we have you know one brush that paints everyone uh, it's it's not going to be successful so there if there is a way to create a framework where individuals can first understand where do they stand today 
what's what are their strengths what are the weaknesses and what's the gap that they need to bridge and then be able to select relevant learning path for themselves which has continuous feedback mechanism right so it's not just enough or sufficient for me to know where do i stand today but as i progress in my learning journey there has to be some way for me to get feedback uh, whether it's in my own personal space or whether uh, you know uh, in some automated mechanism i get to know what my progress is and and mind mind you uh, course completion is not a very accurate measure of of progression uh, but you know something beyond that where, where i can see actually my skills are improving or is it in the context of uh, the overall organization and there can be some competitive element and see okay there's some kind of leaderboards uh, and see and and probably see how other people are also progressing but obviously there has to be a safe space where people do not feel that this kind of information could negatively impact their promotions and and their growth in the organization um and lastly i would say you know let if it's possible let individuals decide what courses work for them when i say courses i'm not really talking about topics but what source of courses you know do i want to go on in coursera academy plural side there are tons and tons of courses out there and each one has a different flavor so maybe let the person choose what they want to go for rather than prescribing a specific learning platform right so th- this was for upskilling now we'll go back to your or online skill testing uh, yeah. processes do you think online skill test provide an accurate uh, you know enough indication for uh, the requirements that your client enterprise may have as far as the candidates are concerned and uh, do they really help to make informed d- decisions to get the best talent that the company needs absolutely uh, i feel if skill tests are done correctly they can give extremely valuable information about the candidates competencies and the reason being uh, most of the skill tests are designed to actually check for on the job skills uh so truth be told you know it's it's hard to assess someone in you know an hour like you know you, you're trying to assess someone's ability to do work over the next 4 5 years in in a duration of about an hour and that's a hard problem to solve but the closest like the best way you could kind of do that is to give them something to do which they would do on their job if they were hired and see how they fare at that so uh, there is a class of skill test which actually simulate on the job uh, on the job kind of assessment and those give you a a good insight into the person's actual competencies and not just because of that uh, but you know when you look at from an enterprise perspective you have multiple hiring centers within a large organization there are multiple interviewers uh, but at the end of the day you want to maintain a certain level of uh, talent benchmark and if possible you would want to standardize that across your teams so basically what i'm saying is your talent uh, benchmark or your quality of of talent that's coming in your organization should not be dependent on the interviewing skills of people who are hiring um if you don't have someone who can you know prop who's new to interviewing or or doesn't have those skills should not result in poorer quality talent coming in or good talent being left out so what uh, skill tests also allow you to do is uh, standardize your screening process this further reduces variability in selection uh, because like i said of different interviews and then there's a lot of uh, talk uh, a lot of uh, discussion around bias and you know fair hiring practices uh, unfortunately um, you know it happened during the pandemic but uh there has been a lot of discussion if you look in the valley around uh, 
representation of uh, historically uh, uh, underrepresented communities in the workforce. And despite all the rhetoric, the numbers are still uh, not encouraging. So part of the reason is because all said and done, humans do have unconscious bias, right? So putting in an automated, unbiased, standardized screening process right at the top of the funnel significantly reduces, uh, you know, chances of, 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 uh, candidates or deserving candidates not getting through significantly reduces that through the rest of the recruiting process. And and finally, I would say, you know, it's not just about, so these skill tests are not just about telling you whether the person passed or failed. It's never binary. Uh, actually, these skill tests give you a lot of detailed insights about their core, at least in, in the tech world. You know, we give tons of insight around their coding abilities, uh, we give their skill insights, we give you a lot of information which then can be further used by the hiring managers uh, as talking points, discussion points for further rounds of interviews. So in that context, uh, you know, skill test, if implemented the right way, can help companies significantly improve the recruiting process. Right. Now, um, once the world opens up, once once the remote working facility is not 100% like it is there in most places right now, and we do have a hybrid workforce on, on our hands, uh, some people working from home and the others working from office, uh, how do you think the recruiting uh, processes will pan out? Because that, that demand will be hybrid too, and it will be not like uh, you know either one of them. It's going to be a third element altogether. How do you think your processes will be able to uh, handle that that new normal? All right. Uh, so a, a great question. And I think this is one of the few silver linings of this unfortunate pandemic is that organizations are a lot more open to hybrid workforces. Um, and why do I say it's a silver lining is uh, at some level, I, you know, I, I don't think it it is fair that I'll give an example. Let's say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a married person and I have family and I've been at a location for many years and an opportunity comes across uh which is the perfect fit for me from my own perspective and from the organization's perspective. But it just so happens to be uh, half a continent away or, you know, uh, uh, thousands of miles away. And, you know, I'm not able to uh, leave everything and, and move. Um, that used to happen a lot earlier. And I'm hoping, um, you know, we th that organizations will be a lot more open to a hybrid workforce where, not everybody will be remote, but there will be a subset of organization uh, that would be remote. And what this translates into is organizations can now cast a wider net because they're not constrained by geographical locations. They should be in a position to be able to hire such brilliant people who in their at, at their own workplaces or, or sorry, at their own uh, local locations where they are. Um, this also gives us an opportunity to be more to, to be more inclusive. Um, uh, you know, to be able to hire people who probably earlier were left out from the, um, uh, you know, from the from the recruiting process purely because they come from locations that we were not really hiring for. Um, obviously, like I said in the beginning, this means that the candidate volume is going to increase significantly um, and it's going to become a lot more diverse. Uh, there are tons of organizations who historically been hiring you know, not even from a certain state, but from a certain city. So if you are good at recruiting in, uh, let's say, you know, let's take example of Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, uh, you may be able to hire people here because there, there are certain ways in which recruiting is done here. There are certain expectations that candidates have. Uh, there are certain things that, you know, you, you want to see in the process. But now let's say you are open to suddenly hiring from Midwest. 
you don't know what people expect there. There is obviously a cultural difference. There's also the challenge of, hey, how do I build out my brand there? Uh, then there's the challenge of how do I engage these candidates in the remote process? Then how do I manage such a high candidate applicant volume? Uh, and then, of, of, of course, remote interviews. So I think organizations would have to look at all of these different aspects. They'll have to think of a brand which cuts across geographies. Uh, leverage, you know, I was earlier uh, in the week, I was in a podcast about how recruitment is moving from a sales-led approach to a marketing-led approach, where instead of, you know, just calling, calling, calling people and closing roles, you're now about sending out a message and talking about who you are as an organization and engaging with that talent. And of course, social media and, and the, the, the digital channels help you do that en masse uh, without any geographical constraints. So organization needs to focus on, you know, how do I build a brand that is omnipresent? How do I understand local nuances wherever hiring from or prescribe things uh, for a culture for remote working? So a few months back, I was in discussion with an organization which is completely remote and it's about 2000 people. And they have built processes around how they work remotely. A lot of emphasis on communication. Their onboarding is very intense. Uh, in fact, they even check for their the candidate's ability to communicate effectively in the beginning of the process itself by a five you know five question two pager kind of response that, that they expect everyone because that's a make or break when you're working remotely, right? So those are some of the things that would change, and and we will have to adapt. Obviously, use of skill based testing, which allows organizations to focus on core skills rather than uh, competencies that may not matter for that particular job and uh, ensuring that the interviewing tools that you're using, they allow for a human touch while facilitating remote conversations. Uh, and finally, ensuring that candidate experience still continues to be top of your mind through these different uh, strategies. I think these are some of the things that we'll have to kind of think through as we go into the new normal. Right. And I also hear that um, once the hybrid workforce becomes the new normal, probably it will be easier to get better talent. Uh, you know, like you're saying, you can cast their, wide, uh, their net wider and geography will not matter too much. So maybe, yes, it's a, you know, it's something positive that will come out of the, the complete change in environment of, of workforces. Right. Right. <clears throat> right. So I think we are done with the questions now here. Uh, Sachin, thank you so much for your time and uh, very enlightening, uh, very interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for being with us. Please do follow us on social media for regular updates and new content.